Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, it's me, Amara Jones. Welcome to the Transnation Podcast, the show where we talk about news, politics, and culture from a trans perspective. But more importantly, welcome to our holiday show, which today we'll be emphasizing two stories which are not only joyful, but practical, giving you some last minute holiday ideas. And who doesn't need those? But before we get to that, I wanted to let you know how over the moon I am that the Translash podcast was featured in this year's Spotify rap, which highlights the best shows of 2020. Thank you, Spotify, for lifting us up and honoring our work. And thank you to all of our listeners who helped us get here. Your positive reviews and love on social media really helps get the word out and elevates our show. So please keep sending us that love. We might even share it here on the show, like that of Kristen Parisi or at Kristen Parisi on Twitter, who said, quote, if you're looking to get some more education on the trans community, I recommend Translash, a podcast with the incredible at Amara Jones, close quote. Kristen, thank you for sharing that and sharing your thoughts. And no, we didn't pay her to say the word incredible. That tweet just somehow landed in our timeline. Now, on to the heart of our program. I've been thinking about all the small trans and non-binary owned businesses and creators making fabulous products and at the same time supporting our communities in powerful ways. And they can use your support this season. Less than 1% of all small business owners are LGBTQ+, with a tiny fraction of that trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming owners. That's why for today's episode, I wanted to lift up these creators and show their incredible work. Today, you'll be hearing from Madden Ray Lopez, the founder of a nonprofit giving support to homeless and housing insecure LGBTQ plus youth called Project Q. They're also innovating in the hair care space and recently started selling hair products of their own. After cycles of violence have been placed upon us, I want to create cycles of success. Plus, I sit down with Al Sandimarova, who creates jewelry for people of all genders and started the radically inclusive company Atomic Gold. For me, the goal of the business, not to make more money, but to build happy and safe community around my work. Listeners, you know that we normally start each episode with trans joy, but in the spirit of the holiday season, both of these segments are joyful, so there's no need to spotlight that separately. With that, let's get started and bring some joy to the world.
One of the incredible organizations we're highlighting today is Project Secure. The nonprofit recently launched a line of new hair care products called Project Curls, specifically designed for curly-haired people of all genders, like me, so that they, we, can have the Project Q hair experience right at home. And all of the proceeds go to the Project Q Barber School to help train a new generation of trauma-informed barbers. So be sure to check them out. But Project Q is about so much more than hair products. It was started by Madden Lopez to support homeless and housing insecure LGBTQ youth by providing free, gender-affirming haircuts. And it's such a vital service for many queer and trans people. Hair is such an important form of self-expression that can help us feel more like ourselves and affirmed in our gender. Project Q also provides mentorship, educational workshops, gender-affirming clothing, food, and other resources for LGBTQ youth. Madden, I'm so thrilled to be talking with you today about Project Q and Project Curls and all the important work that you are doing. Thank you, Amara. I'm really glad to be here. I wanted to first ask you about Project Q. How did you come to land on the idea that focusing on providing haircuts to LGBTQ people with people who are trauma-informed is a really important service that wasn't being met and that you decided to meet it. How did you come to that? Well, I think that if you are any type of gender variant or POC and then the intersection that you've been at, you've had that moment where you're sitting in the chair and you're just like, I don't think this person sees me. (laughs) You know, I don't feel seen by this person and or they see me, but I don't think they know how to cut black hair. I don't think they know what to do with curls or with any type of texture. And so starting Project Q is really for myself. I think that we do that a lot as movement space creators. We're just trying to find a place for ourselves (laughs) first. And that's what I did. So I started Project Q after I'd been doing hair for about eight or nine years, I believe. And then... um, now it's it's been 17 years of doing hair and about eight years of doing Project Q. So it's been really nice to have a space that I made for me. And then, as they say, once you do that for yourself, then you're just making room for more people like you. Yeah. Well, first of all, I've seen your pictures and I don't believe that you've done anything for 20 years. (laughs) 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 But hey, that's just great jeans and great haircut and great lighting. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can share with us an experience that you might have had in a chair where, you know, you realize that the person wasn't recognizing you fully as who you are and how that impacted you. Yeah. I mean, first I want to just speak to the vast majority of humankind and how they, like the massage noir of our hair, of like black hair in general. When I was really young, I wanted to wear my hair natural. You know, I think my dad started to relax my hair by the time I was in second grade. And for folks that don't know, if you have tight, kinky, curly, textured hair, when it's relaxed... Um, with sodium hydroxide, which is one of like the strongest chemicals known to our industry, what they're doing is they're taking away this part of you that's connected to your roots, to your ancestors, and making it more acceptable for white society. And so a large part of what you know, I wanted within having my curly hair as a young person was wanting to have this connection to my roots, right? 
But I was told by family members that I did not look pretty with my natural hair, that you shouldn't do that. No, no, that's not pretty. And so what that was saying to a very young Black mind was, you're not good enough the way that you just wake up in the morning. Your natural person is not good enough. And so translating that into, okay, well, I'll get relaxers, right? And then I'll start to make my hair blonde and I'll do all of these things. And then going into this gender space of understanding who the rest of me is beyond my hair texture and how I get to express that through my hair, you know, like literally sitting in chairs of stylists that are like, I see you, I understand you, I think that you're great, you know, but I don't know how to cut black hair because that's, that's not really hair right? Like it's, it's not, that's what I've been told before. So it's, what's wild to me is that at that intersection, it didn't matter if if somebody saw me for my blackness sitting in black salons and then, you know, being ignored for my gender identity, misgendered, dead named, right? And then the opposite end of that, of like having my identity respected, but like not having the knowledge of how to work with my hair texture. So that's really where I wanted to kind of create a movement and some space for folks that have both of those identities. Yeah. And I know, for instance, so many trans masculine people that I know who that experience of being able to go and get a haircut can be so fraught when you walk into a barbershop and the barbershop is the barbershop, which can often be a misogynistic place. Or Mm -hmm. the same is true for trans women. I mean, pick between these two ideals, maybe the place is accepting, but they don't know how to deal with your hair. Maybe they know how to deal with your hair, but they're not accepting is a really fraught space. And as you say, you know, hair is so tied to our identity that it can be devastating when you don't go to a place that can figure out how to connect who you are with your hair and vice versa. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that's really interesting is Project Curls. And I looked at all the products. They looked amazing. And it's so interesting because social justice organizations often are looking for a way to innovate, to get outside of the idea of cultivating donors or donations. And you came up with this really innovative idea to you know, sell hair products that's connected to your brand, that's connected to what the organization is about. How did you decide to do that? That's like a pretty good hustle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I feel kind of, I feel like I've definitely been groomed for this. In quotes. In quotes. Ooh, I didn't even do that on purpose. It mm-hmm. just came out naturally. Mm. Um, but I worked for a hair product line. That was one of my first jobs straight out of school when I was about 16. And so I did research and development with them. I did education. I was a salesperson. I did their shipping. Like I had been at every single level of their company, as well as learning from the stylists that created the product and figuring out how it worked best in hair. The thing is that, I mean, I love them to death still to this day, but they were focusing on white hair. They weren't focusing on black textures and then also seeing product lines that were made for black hair that I loved being taken off of the shelves because it didn't sell for white community. All of that to be said that queer folks come in all different textures. <laughs> we really do. So I bought myself a, a starter kit to start to sample out different products and different ingredients that were going to work for black hair. And 
you know, here we are a year later. I'm in, I'm on my third wave of packaging. We've sold over a hundred uh, shipments, which means it's almost it's about two uh, two hundred products um, sold. It was clearly the right move because it's such an innovation to sell a product that meets the needs on so many different levels. Like your product is still core to your mission. It is a social justice initiative in and of itself, and the fact that it earns income on top of it is really something for I think everyone to think about in terms of how we're funding ourselves and how we are making social uh, justice movements, especially in LGBTQ groups that are vastly underfunded for there to be thought about innovations like yours. What have you gotten from your experience? We have a sense of what you've given, right? Thinking about self-esteem, thinking about um, the whole person, thinking about making all the people that you have contact with look good, look great, selling products. But what have you as a person, Madden, gotten from your experience with Project Q from doing it? Oi. Okay, you hitting you hitting the hard hitting questions, huh? Uh, mm. <laughs> you know, personally, I would say that I've gotten to see myself represented you know, uh, within the people that we service, but also within myself. A large part of what Project Q is, is that we want to show the youth that we service that they can be anything when they come get their haircuts. They get a haircut in exchange for their attention with a self-esteem building um, workshop. And what that does is it shows this youth like, oh, you're you're encoding, you're trans, I'm trans, I can be encoding. Oh, you're Black and you're an engineer, I guess I can be an engineer too because I see you. And so what it's taught me on the back end of that is that I get to take up the same amount of space that I'm offering. Being a queer AFAB, like POC, like specifically Black POC, we're not taught that. We're not taught to take up space or that we are deserve space or that we're worthy of it. It meant that when the salon got closed down for the third time now, and you know, a lot of my contemporaries are closing up their spaces, I'm on the other end of that hiring on new people to help me with these other programs. I feel blessed. And I'm not a religious person, but I do feel blessed. Within that, all of the the space that you're talking about and that you're creating, what is your dream for Project Q? I have so many. I have so many dreams. A large part of our most immediate dream is obviously to create more trauma-informed queer barbers of color. We only hire queer folks of color. Our entire board is queer people of color, except for one, one specific person. And really the hope is to pass it on. And so that's a large part of what's happening right now is how can we create as many programs and, and job development experiences so that my two assistants that I have, I can get them assistance right? And then continue to hire more queer folks of color. The person that works with me on Project Curls, um, her name's Jessica Jean. She's a trans woman of color now working with me by my side, helping me with my programs. I want her to now have her own person that comes and helps her. Like after cycles of violence have been placed upon us, I want to create cycles of success. Mm. Mm. And lastly, I'm wondering, what's your favorite hair product? What's your favorite Project Curl product? Out of what I made? Yeah. Um, I love them all so much. It's It's got to be the curl cream. Like, that was my catalyst. 
was creating a, a cream that worked for curl patterns 2B to 4C. So that took a lot of time and energy. <laughs> so yeah, I've got to say that's, that's my favorite one. I haven't tried any product that's quite like it. And so I feel mm -hmm. like that's the golden child right there. <laughs> right. And it's for the tightest curl pattern, mm -hmm. right? That's what you were describing when you went into your technical ease. Oh. Uh, and, and that, <laughs> those, are the those are the tightest curl patterns, listeners. So if you have tight curl patterns or know those who do, that's, that's the product for you. Well, Madden, thank you so much for everything that you do and have done and the way in which you connect and create space for others and also for yourself through figuring out how to link our identities with how we are able to present ourselves and how we are expressing ourselves through through our hair, which is so, so important as human beings. I really appreciate it. I also really appreciate you. Thank you for this platform and for inviting me. Of course, of course. That was Madden Lopez, the founder and executive director of Project Q. You can learn more about Project Q and find the new Project Curls hair care products at projectq.me. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. And next up on our special holiday podcast, we're talking about jewelry, which of course is a popular gift around this time of the year. Jewelry can sometimes be tricky for trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. Either the sizes are too big or too small for the type of jewelry you want, or the pieces are made with the gender binary in mind, with either, quote, masculine or, quote, feminine ideas in mind. That's where Atomic Gold comes in. It's a company with quite a story. It was founded by Al Sandemirova, who came to the U.S. in 2009 as an LGBTQ plus refugee. Sandemirova says that they then started the company, quote, out of survival, close quote, originally selling pieces that they made for eBay. Now Atomic Gold is a growing brand well beyond eBay, which makes pieces intended for everyone, putting racial representation at the heart of what they do. Atomic Gold also uses reclaimed gold, putting gender inclusivity as well in every single piece. That's why I'm thrilled to talk to Al today. Al, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Amara. I cannot pay you for this intro <laughs> and you write it down for me. This is the best <laughs> introduction ever. <laughs> sure thing. We're a full service operation. Happy yeah. to do it. Couldn't say better myself. Wow. <laughs> that warms my heart. Um, I want you to feel welcome and seen and heard in all of the ways that you are. So that brings me joy. So... 
the thing that's interesting about the company that you've created that makes beautiful things is that it started out of tremendous difficulty. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's one that a lot of LGBTQ plus people, specifically trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people can relate to. Mm-hmm. We came to the country in 2009 as an LGBTQ plus refugee. I don't mm-hmm. know if we do that anymore, but once upon a time we did. Um, yep. From, you know, a region of of what is now Russia. And I'm wondering if you can just talk to us about the difficulty that pushed you here. What what happened to make you come to the United States? Uh, basically, the family and the place where I'm from, it's very not accepting of LGBTQ plus people. So I had some bad accidents, both with my family and I've been outed. So it's been some accidents with the outside of the community. So my life been threatened and I had no choice but to run outside of the country. And I choose New York specifically as the safe haven. How did you turn to the idea of working with golds and putting it on eBay as a means for survival? Do you remember when you came up with that idea? Yes, I've been uh, working illegally in a refinery of gold refinery. And my boss wasn't treating me well because I wasn't documented. Uh, Low pay, uh, sexual harassment. So I really didn't want to stay there. And when I tried to find another job, um, I didn't speak English at the time. So I had no choice but to start my own thing. No, the reason why I asked that question is because I think that one of the things about your story is that you just kept transforming the thing that was right in front of you into the next step. Mm. Right? And a lot of times people want to figure out how to start their own businesses, particularly people mm. um, who are trans or non-binary, gender non-conforming, because of all the mm. reasons that we know, right? All of the things that you experienced mm-hmm. yeah. in your life are the reason why people leave. Harassment on the job, mm-hmm. threats, you know, that you couldn't leave, you couldn't find anything better, all of the things, mm-hmm. but get stuck or paralyzed thinking that they need to find one big idea, but you just kept transforming the thing that you were doing into the next step. And I just think... That's a really important example for for entrepreneurs, you know? Mm. So you started out on eBay. eBay clearly was a cracking success. (laughs) And then you decided to not only sell jewelry, but to sell jewelry in a completely different way, right? To make a brand that was gender inclusive, where the sizes of things worked for people. So let's just say, for example, if you wanted a piece that was more on the masculine side, in quotes, but you had a smaller hand because that maybe that's not the gender you were assigned yeah. at birth, you make the sizes for that. You decided to make a brand that was inclusive racially as well. And those are choices that are not made by jewelry companies. If anyone turns on television or opens a magazine or goes online, that yeah. those aren't the choices of jewelry companies. And I'm wondering what motivated you to think, you know what, I'm going to do this differently. Yeah. So as I was selling on eBay, I didn't enjoy wearing any single piece myself. The masculine jewelry would be like very thick and the feminine jewelry would be like too feminine for me. And I'm like, I have a thousand pieces of jewelry in stock and I can't wear a single one, Uh, but I love jewelry. Let me go to school and make my own jewelry. So I went to jewelry school. And for me, this is the mindset. If the jewelry is good, it will sell. I don't need a brand name around it. One of my friend bought for Hanukkah 15 pairs of earrings. And she said to me, oh, you don't have a brand? Why don't you have a brand? I'm like, 
why need to have a brand? She's like, Ugh. she was shocked, obviously. And I'm like, ah, okay, Americans need a brand to buy it. They can just send a link to the good <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, time to make some more money. So yeah, read the book, read online classes, how to start a brand. I'm lucky to be in New York and see all this presentation of sizes, colors, and genders. And I never been the one shopping like in K jewelers. So I <laughs> so I never need to transfer the toxic mindset to my brand. So I guess why it's so easy to me because I'm surrounded to people like that and it comes to me naturally. It's never was a question to like do men's and women's categories. I'm like, no, it doesn't exist to me or to my community. No, so I'm not gonna do it. Why would I do it? Yeah, I want to be honest about something, and this is going to maybe sound strange to people. I hope not. I think that they'll understand. I mean, one of the things that can happen specifically with luxury brands is that they want to mm-hmm. not have a broad racial representation, right? Because mm-hmm. the idea is that these brands are aspirational and that in America, aspirational upward mobility is still associated with whiteness and brands have very much embraced that, specifically jewelry brands, um, mm-hmm. for a really long time. Even high-end jewelry, Chanel just had the first black model headlining this 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 uh, century. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, all high-end brands, yeah. But you didn't go that route, and I'm wondering why you didn't go that route. Um, I guess because for me, the goal of the business, not to make more money, but to build happy and safe community around my work. For me, work is... As fast for the most of the people, two-thirds of the life. You spend eight hours a day with your community of co-workers. This is more time with the spend with our family and loved ones. I don't want to take investments from anybody. <laughs> I, I do want to sell more and be successful just to show everybody big fuck you. But I don't want to do it to be on a yacht or to be with the 20 Chanel bags. So what all my co-workers are happy and I can buy them donut, and they can buy me channel perfume as a gift, which they did last week. It's so nice. They bought me <laughs> perfume as a gift. Like, yeah, I want to pay good money so you can buy me like this expensive perfume. It's so nice. Thank you. Yeah. I don't want to misuse it and just sit on a ton of money myself. Yeah. So the goal is never was just to make more money, but to make happy life for myself and people around me. This is my goal. This is what I want to do. Wow. Wow. It's really powerful. I... It's, I'm shocked when it's powerful to people. Why not everybody wants that? Because that's not what a capitalist society tells you. You know, the capitalist society mm-hmm. tells you that for me, what struck me when you were talking is that for you, what's most valuable about the gold isn't the gold itself. It's the values that you put in the gold that allows mm-hmm. you to live out the values in a much larger way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But for most people, the gold is the value and it, it's transactional and it's about the money. And mm-hmm. and that's what our economy is built on. And it tells people that values aren't important. Money is the thing that's most important. Mm-hmm. And whatever you got to do to make the most money, then that's what you do. But you made a very conscious decision to not do that because your values are fundamentally different. And I think that's why it's a surprise because you are succeeding in this environment, mm-hmm. even though the way that you are succeeding is not supposed to be. Mm. I see. Yeah. I think that's why it's shocking. You have said that there's so many ways in which you feel conflicted being a you know, non-binary um, business person because there are times in which you are, even now, you know, misgendered mm-hmm. when talking to people, understanding that the way that your gender is perceived mm-hmm. 
is a determinant in whether or not people want to work with you. And sometimes having to make choices even now about, well, wait, do I correct them on my gender identity? Do I tell them this? Do I tell them that? Because it may impact my business. Again, I think this is a dynamic that a lot of our listeners can relate to. And I'm just wondering if you can just talk about that a little bit. If with the somebody, I want to like buy gold, for example, like big supplier, sometimes I don't fix them right away or fix in more friendly, jokingly matter, or just don't tell them because survival at the end of the day and like making good for my company is more important than like this person who I talked only once or twice respecting my gender. So I got to make, yeah, choices. In the end of the day, I'm a business owner. I'm living in a good apartment. I have good food. So... I'm fine with it. Yeah, whatever. But in the end of the day, I think safety and mental safety is the most important. And then you've also said the same thing. I also think this is an important thing for people to to hear. You've also said it as well about, you know, the times that you decide to take the money, right? You were like, ultimately, I've got to find a way to survive, right? That me surviving as the person that I am in the society is the victory. And sometimes that means, you know, it's okay to take the money. <laughs> yeah. So for me right now, because I have employees, it's very clear boundary. If I want to mm. buy a good deal of the pre-owned gold and the person doesn't respect my pronouns, but it's going to benefit the 10 employees I have, I'm like, I don't care. Call me, girl, call me girl. It's okay. Just give me a good deal on this gold. I'm wondering, so you started out Atomic Golds with the idea of survival in mind. Then you went from survival to creating your brand because as you said, Americans can't buy anything without <laughs> a brand, which is... <laughs> shady but true and now you know the company has reached a size where you have many employees it's growing to establish you're out of survival mode when you think about the future sort of when you think about the future of atomical let's say 10 Ooh. 15 years from now what do you want it to be oh i have so many dreams but realistically in 10 to 15 years my dream is to take the niche on the market uh, where I have cute little stores in across America or in every mall. Because right now, K-jewelers will sell like hollow gold or silver with uh, garbage diamonds. I want people to come in any size and I want to have it in stock. I want to LGBT couple to have and have regarding of style so they can buy engagement or wedding rings. Where it's not just, oh, you're a girl, you get a diamond. Or you're a boy, you get a, a band. I'm so excited to design engagement ring collection next year. Yeah. So I'm all about that. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being so open about your journey and about your struggles and ultimately your triumphs and what motivates you. I was thrilled to learn about Atomic Golds. Now everyone knows where to go when you need an engagement ring. You heard there's a whole (laughs) collection coming out next year. So um, be sure to check them out. Um, And I'm just so glad again to know you, to know about your company and to thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. That was Al Sendemirova, the owner of Atomic Gold, a trans-owned fine jewelry brand. You can see their selection online at AtomicGold.com. And Atomic starts with an AU, like the chemical symbol for gold on the periodic table for all you science nerds. Again, that's A-U-T-O-M-I-C gold.com. 
Thank you for joining me on the Translash podcast. Now listen all the way through to the end of the show for something extra. I'm Amara Jones. If you enjoyed today's show and are looking for other trans-owned businesses to support this holiday season, Translash is highlighting even more creators in our monthly WNYC program, Lives at Stake. You can live stream that the same day as this episode, December 17th, or find it online afterwards. You also can visit translash.org and click on our Shop Trans for the Holidays link, where we list even more trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming small businesses. Please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review our show. That really helps us out. You can find Translash on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check us out on the web at translash.org to sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Translash Media, like us on Facebook, and tell your friends. Translash Podcast is produced by Translash Media by Futuro Studios. The Translash team includes Oliver Ash Klein, Montana Thomas, Tyler Wilson, Ruby Fazinski, and Yannick Ike Mirko. And the Futuro Studios team includes Nicole Rothwell, Jess Alvarenga, Stephanie LeBeau, Julia Caruso, Leah Shaw, Elashiba Itu, Rosanna Caban, and Gabriela Baez. Our digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano with support from Agency of Joy. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also courtesy of ZZK Records. Hey, Translash fam, what I'm looking forward to this week is the launch of my new website, amarajones.com. Go to amarajones.com. We've been working on it forever. So excited for you to see the photos there that were taken by the amazing Richie Shazam. And you can also see all of the other people that are behind some of the looks that I have, like Busayo, this uh, fashion brand that keeps a Nigerian textile um, making process alive that's ancient there, style the clothes. So there's so many reasons to go there. Go to amarajones.com, look at all of the things there, sign up for our newsletter, because uh, we're going to have an Amara Jones newsletter too. So that's what I'm excited about. Thanks for listening. <laughs>